Hello and welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2021 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me as he will be every week is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at the Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, JJ. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Um, Wasn't much activity on the Panthers front this week. No. We did sign a few guys, signed a fullback and Mikey Daniel. So there could be a replacement for Alice Palmer. Yeah. And we also signed two defensive linemen, Frank Heron and PJ Johnson. Yeah. But when I look at those guys, I don't see them being stars or <laughs> or very newsworthy. You know, what can you tell us about the new signings for the for the Panthers? Yeah, I think both of the defensive linesmen um, are probably more camp bodies who will be at very best on the fringes of the of the sort of the the roster um, come September. Um, I think Daniel the um, Daniel's even the 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 fullback is a bit more interesting, if only because the Panthers don't really have a fullback other than him right now. And while I I I would be a bit surprised if he just got shooed into a roster spot come September. Um, there is a chance he will be actually competing for a, for a roster spot and a chance to contribute. Um, he's he's a guy I think played running back at um, is it Southern Illinois? I think it's South Dakota State. Um, yeah, South Dakota and, State. Yeah, yeah. And, and like he played running back there and then moved to fullback. And I think that's kind of you know fills that gap between sort of the Mike Davis role and the Alex Armour role. Um, right. I wouldn't be surprised if the Panthers even spent like a late round, like a very late round draft pick or maybe a, like a priority UDFA spot on someone to compete with him. But he's a guy who I think will be competing for a for a roster spot um, come training camp. What I did think was a bit interesting with the two D linemen is that one of them, um, who's listed at about three hundred and five pounds, was was um, the Panthers referred to him as a defensive end, which I think does signify that they are maybe moving more towards a three four look than a four three look. I mean, obviously it's going to be a mixture. Whatever happens, like I'd imagine it's probably you're talking about whether it's a 60-40 split one way or the other. Um, but I think probably the, the, the signing of Hassan Reddick has kind of shifted that that away towards more of a three, four look. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that, how that sort of turns out this year and how that manifests in terms of like which players they go after in terms of defensive line in the draft. But we'll probably talk about that a bit more next week. As we yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting catch and, you know, interesting point. You know, there has been a lot of speculation about the Panthers' defensive alignment, especially after bringing in an outside linebacker pass rusher, specialist like Hassan Reddick. You already have Brian Burns, who... Uh, some people forget was drafted during a year where Ron Rivera was switching to a three, four. Mm. And so we'd have, we have a lot of personnel um, such as Kristen Miller, who's also, you know, in that outside linebacker um, in the three, four mode. And so we have some personnel that fit that alignment already. And, you know, with the guys that they're bringing in for camp um, and, you know, Morgan Fox, there's, you know, there's some thought that it could be, you know, a three, four, you know, some odd front alignments, you know, this year more so than last year. And although they did go three-man front last year, um, it wasn't in a three-four alignment. It's more in a three-three type setup. So yeah. be interesting to see if Phil Snow makes that adjustment after one year in the league uh, and how that 
looks are, I, I do think he will always be multiple. I, I yeah. don't think Hill Snow likes being defined by one particular scheme. No. Um, he likes that flexibility, but it would be interesting to see if he looked at how they performed last year and looked at what other teams were doing around the league and said to himself, okay, I think with who we have on our roster, we probably should look to three, four, um, more so than doing the things that we did last year. So I'm, 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 yeah. I like the three, four. Personally, I don't think it's um, the, it don't have to be the greatest for everybody, but I'm just one of the guys that came up kind of old school. And I like seeing the three, four front. Yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty worth noting that I think it, it's it's possibly as much that as they had a chance to sign Hassan Reddick, who they really liked. And it was yeah. more about you get Hassan Reddick and you like, you know, the way they've talked about this defensive philosophy in the past is you, you get a handful of really good players and you make the rest of the pieces fit around them. And I think yeah. it's one of those things where they had a chance to get a player in Hassan Reddick who they think is really good and, and has shown that he can be really good in the NFL. And actually, you know, you go and get him and then, you know, you've got enough pieces to move around the defensive line that you can you can shuffle around and make that work. So I think it's probably more one domino falls into place and then you start you start making the others fit. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that works. But I, I'd be I, I'd, I think it's probably as, as much about who they found was available than what they think is sort of a, a grand philosophy type thing, if that makes sense. And, yeah, it does make sense. And, and one thing I will mention, you know, and this is something that I found out during the Rivera era when we were switching to the 3-4 in his final year, is that there's not as there's not that much of a difference between the 3-4 and the 4-3 front, you know, it, you know in terms of um, – what you can actually do from those sets, you know, is so it, it. Sometimes we get caught up in the four three versus three four, but if you run in like a, I believe it's a four three under, then it looks a lot like or four three over maybe. It looks a lot like a three four front, you know. And so it just depends on how you deploy your players and you know and 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 what your overall philosophy is in terms of gap, you know, integrity and things like that, you know. But it is it's not as much of a difference as people make it, but um, no. but it does. It does, you know, dictate what type of personnel you you get if, you know, if you're doing one thing, you know, definitely one thing over another. Um, and, 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 you know, and in our case, I think the reason that's important is because we don't have a lot of defensive interior linemen. And, um, and you know, and, and it's something that they're going to have to address in the draft, you know, if we yeah. go out front. Well, I, th- I think whatever happens, they're going to have to take three techs. It's more about what what you want those three techs to do. Whereas I think yeah. it's probably going to be more of a, there might be more of a priority of maybe slightly smaller, quicker three techs over like the KK short type guys. So there yeah. probably is maybe going to be more of a preference potentially for guys like on Ruzarike or Sample over guys like Barmore and Nixon. But, yeah. uh, you know, ultimately if they're going to be multiple, there's going to be snaps for guys, whatever happens. So it, it's, it allows you to kind of, as long as you've got roughly the right groups of positions, the flexibility allows you to just get the best players and put them on the field, really. Right. Um, and before we get off that, I, I was just sitting here having a thought about, you know, you're talking about them having the the opportunity to pick players up like Hassan Reddick and looking at who they currently have on the roster already and Brian Burns and and even a Derek Brown, you know, who was drafted seventh overall last year. You know, sometimes I think, you know, they look at the combination of those players and, and think to themselves, okay, we know we have a Derrick Brown and we know what he did well last year. You know, and I wonder if they looked at it and said, 
would he be better as a nose tackle in a three four? You know, if, if we stayed more of an odd front, you know, would he would he be more dominant or more impactful in that role versus how we played him last year? Possibly. I, I'm not sure Brown is that dependent on one or the other. Um, yeah, no, I think he's probably not going to be that. I, I wouldn't expect him to be that different as a nose in a in a in a three four or the kind of one tech in a four three. Um, yeah. Obviously, it depends a little bit about how you balance stuff, but I think it, I think whatever happens, the Panthers are going to run like a nose tackle effectively, just as whether they line up over the center or or in in the a gap. So I, I don't think it'll make that much difference, really. Okay. Well, I mean that's a lot about the the defensive front. Um, this episode is going to be focused on the other side of the ball, uh, which is the Panthers' offensive line. And in preparing to, to have this discussion today, I was just thinking about how the Panthers' offensive line situation has been pretty bad for the last, I would say, three to four seasons. Longer than that, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's... even... I think the only year I can remember since like the Jordan Gross era that the offensive line was like good was was 2015. Like you know you, yeah, you look at yeah yeah you, there hasn't I mean particularly at left tackle I mean I think Matt Khalil was actually okay in 2017 just then got hurt immediately but there has been right. just no no stability particularly at left tackle but really across the line as a whole you had those bits we had like Norwell and Turner and Khalil as a central three and that worked quite well. But right. you know, Matt Khalil was probably sorry, not Matt Khalil, Ryan Khalil was probably on the decline really after 2016. Like the 2017 season, he was not amazing. Um, right. he was fine, but he wasn't a strength anymore. That right tackle spot motion was kind of tied down, and Daryl Williams was decent there before. But there really hasn't been much continuity. I mean, like you, you know, you go back five years and the offensive line was what? So 2015, it was uh Norwell, Khalil, Turner, and Remmers. Yes. None of none of those are still here. Like, right. You know, you know, it, you, you like to, you know, it, you don't have to go very far back, and the offensive line looks completely different. Like twenty seven, what twenty seventeen was, was that Khalil Norwell, That's Khalil, Khalil Norwell, Khalil um, Turner, and Williams, and none of Williams those guys are here. Yeah. yeah. None, so even if you go back to twenty seventeen, none of the offensive linemen from twenty seventeen are still here. So you have to go back to twenty eighteen. You know, only 2018 is the last, like the first back you can go and still find a guy who's who's going to start this year who was still there. Like, yeah. you know, we could potentially have three completely new starters on the offensive line this year. So it, it's kind of, you know, there's just been so much turnover for so long and that's probably going to continue for the next year or two. Um, like if, if you look at the players they've got now, you know, Paradis and Moten are probably the two that you could, you could say are definitely going to start this year. And both of them will be free agents after this season. You know, Moten hasn't signed a long-term deal after his franchise tag yet. And then you go, okay, who are the other guys that might start? Well, John Miller, he's on a one-year deal. Trent Scott, he's on a one-year deal. You know, um, um, uh, uh, Greg Little and uh, Dennis Daly, who are both going into year three of their rookie contracts. Uh, you know, Cam Irving, who's going into, we've got a two-year deal. Like, Pat Elfline is actually the like the guy who's got the most contract left and he's on a three-year deal. Like he's the only yeah. player who's due to be there beyond two years' time. And I think that creates a few issues. It, it creates an opportunity as well. I think that's probably the best way of putting it as well. But 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 there's the bit where you just have no certainty. You can't go like, okay, well, this guy is going to be the right tackle, and then we just need to build around him. There's kind of there's so many moving pieces that okay, Moton, you'd ideally hope would stay at right tackle, but if he leaves 
Does that mean Dennis Daly goes to right tackle or do you need to add a right tackle or would Cam Irving go to right tackle? And if Paradis leaves, does Elfline move into centre or do they need to draft a centre? Or, you know, every position, there's some kind of question mark. Um, personally, I think the way you approach that is you add one or two really high quality players who have some flexibility. I think that would be my, my, my personal view would be if you can get two of your top three picks, say, or certainly one of your top three picks and maybe two of your top four picks to be guys who can come in and you think this is a long-term NFL starter who can play either tackle and guard or guard and centre. And then you just start building around them. Because, you know, the issue the Panthers have is that, okay, Greg Little has been really inconsistent through his first two seasons, hadn't played a ton, but he's still only 22, 23. I think he's still only 22, has loads of talent, maybe could develop into a tackle. Dennis Daly is a bit older. I think he's 25, um, but you know, I think 24 will be 25 later this year. Um, but my, I might have that year out, but it's around that kind of age. And like, you know, has shown some nice things, could maybe be a starter, has some swing tackle value. And then you've got, you know, okay, John Miller probably, I don't think is going to be a long-term solution, but can, could be a starter in the short term. Can Pat Elfline become a long-term starter? There, there are just so many pieces that you, that, the need answers really that you don't want to block out any one player from being able to come through. But the, the, the flip side of that is that because there are so many players who, whose future is uncertain, there are pathways for players at multiple roles to get into the, into the, the starting lineup. Like you, if you, maybe if you draft a guy in the first round, you probably need them to start right away. But, you know, say you draft a, like a guard slash tackle in the first round. And like you go into camp and Greg Little just looks amazing in camp. Well, if they're a guard slash tackle, there's going to be an opportunity for them to start at guard because, you know, the odds of Greg Little and Dennis Daly and Pat Elfline and Cam Irving and John Miller all looking great in camp is, is pretty low, I would say. I'd say you, you hope that one, maybe two of them become long-term options. Right. And, and if you've got some flexibility, I mean, I think the issue they have is that if Greg Little does work out, he is tackle only. Like he might be able to play right tackle rather than left tackle if Moten leaves, but he's not going to move inside to guard. Um, but, you know, if, if Daly looks good, Daly could move to right tackle if needs be, he could stay at guard. You, know, you, you have flexibility there. Um, but, I, but it's kind of this weird situation where the Panthers need offensive linesmen but it's not totally clear exactly where that need is going to be long-term. Like you, you can't say any, you know, Greg Little could look amazing, takes a real step year three, Taylor Moten signs a long-term extension, and actually you're kind of set at tackle now. Or yeah. Taylor Moten walks next year, refuses to sign a long-term deal, Greg Little just doesn't take the step, looks awful, and then you have no tackles. And, and it's kind of both of those in a year's time are, are foreseeable possibilities. I, that's, and that's crazy to me. I mean, just as you were going through all the different offensive linemen we have, and all the different variables for how that may look this season and going forward. Honestly, man, I couldn't help but be a little bit depressed. Depressed for this season and depressed for the future, <laughs> like the short-term future. And for anybody listening, I, I hope that you can hear me when I say this. There's a lot of, I, I guess, quasi-excitement being drummed up. And I want to get excited for this year. We went out and, and acquired a, a former overall third pick to be, a, uh, I presume, started at quarterback. I don't know if that's set in stone yet, but, you know, that's where the tea leaves appear to be leading us. Um, is Sam Donald being our quarterback 
in that season. And I'm and I'm okay with that. I'm really okay with that. I'm 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 coming to grips with it a little more day by day. And that's hard for me, but I'm 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 going to be behind Sam Donald as I've been behind every quarterback. But this isn't about me and who I'm rooting for. It's about the front office. It's about who Scott Fitterer and Matt Rule and Dave Tepper all signed off on to go out and get and, you know, bring Sam Donald in, you know, let him be like this amazing reclamation project at quarterback, give him the infrastructure and the, and the, you know, the coaching, all the things they say he didn't have in, in New York. So he's going to get that in Charlotte, hopefully. But then when I hear about this offensive line situation, I'm like, man, like, is he going to be able to be successful, you know, with a line, you know, with as many question marks as we have? And, and so as much as I like thinking about all the, all of the other prospects that we can potentially pick at number eight, cornerback, you know, Patrick Sertain Jr. and, or the second, um, I love Michael Parsons. I know we're not going to get him, um, but, just all of these studs that can be had in number eight, even if a quarterback drops studs. But now when I uh, uh, hear about the uh, offensive line situation, all I can think about is please get a, a tackle. Please get <laughs> one oh, of these guys who can, who can help that situation going forward. And I know that there's some opportunity for Greg Little to step up. You know, we've, we talked about that some in the past. Um, he, he definitely, to me, he has the talent to be a, a left tackle. Uh, we have Cam Irving, you know, we have, you know, guys on the interior like F-line. We have Taylor Moten on the right side. Um, Parrot is at center, you know, John Miller's back. And, but, you know, personally, Vince, I don't believe that our offensive line was good last season. Some people no. believe that they were okay. It, it wasn't, and, it, yeah, it wasn't good. It, 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 might, been, it, might, been, it might have been okay, but it wasn't, it certainly wasn't good. Well, I mean, exactly. So, I mean, to me, watching in real time, we didn't look good. I mean, I think the offensive line probably rated out better than they actually were because of the nature of our offense. You know, quick passing game, yeah. get the ball out your hands quick, you know, and all the stuff that, that the fans hated about the quarterback play disposition were, you know, were things that made the offensive line actually look better than yeah, they no, were. Right. Um, and, you know, so, you know, <laughs> It's a, so much to unpack here because I have discussions offline all the time, you know, about, uh, you know, the offensive line was actually good. The quarterback was just horrible. And I, that, I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm kind of, I'm kind of digressive, you know, for one second here. And this is about the, the offensive line and, and what's good and what's not good. People, you know, people say, Oh yeah, the Panthers' offensive line isn't that bad. You know, we we don't need to to pick an offensive line. But some people say that. I mean, most people with sense know that we need to improve that that position group. But my response is always, you know, what I just said is is that when you look at teams who pass the ball quick, pass the ball short, oftentimes you'll see that their offensive line rates out better than guys, you know, yeah. or teams that they need to set up for longer to get deep balls off and and things like that. And so I don't think that an offensive line that consisted of, who was it, Trent Scott, a lot at left tackle last year? Yeah. Um, who, was, who was the left guard? You know, Chris the guy Reed. Who was, who was that Reed? Yeah, Chris Reed. Um, Matt Paradis, John Miller, 
and Taylor Moten. And I don't think that that compilation of linemen is a good offensive line. And I don't think that you bring in a guy like Sam Donald in hopes that he can be a long-term solution and put him behind an offensive line like that. I mean, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater. No, you know, I, I would I would be very surprised if they did not draft one offensive lineman early and probably at least two offensive linemen throughout. I, I think the way I, I maybe, maybe I was a little bit all over the place early. I think maybe the, the best way to think about it is this is that the worst case scenario is that the Panthers go into the in, you know going into the draft, the worst case scenario is that your offensive line is Cam Irving, Pat Elfline, Matt Paradis, John Miller, Taylor Moten. Now that isn't a long-term option. Obviously, you know you'd have three starters who were in the last year of their contract. But in terms of, I think what the signings of Elfline and Irving do is they give you a passable short-term option. Like if the Panthers right. do not draft anyone on the offensive line, you will go into the season with five guys who probably between them could make an okay offensive line. And obviously, that's not a good thing. You don't want to be okay. You want to be better than that. But but yes. if you don't draft anybody. If you don't, you know, if, if Greg and Dennis Daly don't take a step, if they get hurt again, if you, if they, if, if, yeah, if, if no, if the young players don't improve and you don't add anyone, then at least you've got a starting point is that offensive line, which is not good, but is at least better than, you know, like, you know if you had like 2014 and you had like Nate Chandler and, and Byron Bell starting, like it, it's better than that. Right. Um, I don't think we're talking about that kind of bad offensive line. Um, yeah. I think the best case scenario right now would be something along the lines of um, Little taking a step at tackle, Dennis Daly winning the right guard job, and probably Elfline still being the left guard. So I think probably the best case offensive line is like Little, Elfline, Paradis, Daly, Moton. In which case, you've got two young starters who potentially can be there for a while. You've got a left guard who's under contract for three, for, well, for three years, and then you've got the centre and the right tackle who are a bit uncertain. I think that would be a at least average NFL. If, if Little and Daly take a step, the Panthers right now could have a average offensive line. And I, I would point out that like the Jets' offensive line was terrible. Like you know, I would be amazed if the Panthers' offensive line wasn't better than the Jets' offensive line. Like it was, it was really bad. You know, the uh, crazy part is, think about it now. Just think about this for a second. The Jets' offensive line was terrible, right? Mm-hmm. When you go back and look at some of the guys who was on their offensive line, I think they had some injury problems. But mm-hmm. one of the guys that they had on their team, if I'm not mistaken, was Van Roten, who was with us the year before, right? Yeah, Van Roten played a bit. I think he, I think he got hurt. I think he got hurt. You know, but you know, so they, you know, the Jets went into last season with Greg Van Roten, you know, at the guard position. I think they traded for or they acquired. Pat Elfline. Yeah, so that, that, he was on their offensive line last yeah. year. Yeah, Elf, Elfline was mostly as a replacement for Van Roten, to be fair. I yeah, think. For, so, so I think so. He came in at left guard, right? Yeah. Um, and then you had the Jets. I think they drafted Beckton. Yeah. The left tackle last year. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I think that, it's a little. That, that was a bad pick. Um, I, I mean, but, you know, but, you know, he's so massive that people just like just consumed by just his bigness and, and, and thought that it would pan out. But either way, though, you know, did like... He, did he go ahead of both Wills and Worths? I know he went ahead of Worths. Did he go ahead of Jedrick Wills as well? I can't recall. I, I really can't, you know. But, yeah. you know, I, I say that to say this. Joe Douglas 
was trying to put an offensive line around Sam Donald, right? You know, by midst of the draft and going out to get veterans. Uh, and it didn't pan out all that well for them. And it's not, you know, you can't stop injuries and things like that. But it's interesting that, you know, that he's coming here from New York where they were trying to build a lot, of, a lot around him to where now he's coming to the Panthers where our offensive line may be a tad better as it stands right now, but I don't think it's that much better than the situation he left unless they really nail it in the draft. Because, you know, we, we're deep into to free agency already. And so yeah, I don't it's, think, it's, not, it's not going to come through free agency. Yeah, it's not going to come through free agency. So if we're going to improve what has the, <laughs> the most potential to be a decent at best offensive line right now, then it has to come through the draft. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. like I said, you know, it, I've, I've gone back and forth with people all year long um, about what we need to do with pick number eight, or even before we knew it was pick number eight, what we need to do this offseason. Um, and, you know, there's times where I'm all on board with go you know, draft the offensive lineman at number eight, you know, or with our top pick, you know, then I, but I love defense, so I'm always leaning towards defense. And then there was the quarterback discussion. But now that they've gone out and made a move for Sam Donald, I still would draft, you know, like one of the top quarterbacks if they slid to us at, at eight, if they just happen to be there. But as we said last weekend before, just because we like a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance, one of the guys who could potentially slip back to eight, doesn't mean that the Panther staff yeah. love them like we do. And so I think them going out to get Sam Donald is an indication that they're more confident in what, he can provide then what most of these guys that we love in the draft can um, outside of the top two. And so now that, <laughs> that we've had this discussion today and looking at all the other moves that we've made in free agency to this point, I'm like, man, maybe it should be one of these offensive linemen. No, maybe we, yeah. we, have, to, we have to get better across the offensive line because one thing I, I do believe is that it starts in the trenches I think Scott Fitterer said that when he came came on board, you know, when they when he when he was asked what were the areas they need to improve, I think he mentioned cornerback and offensive line specifically. And I think there's still a need for cornerback. I mean, we did go out and and get AJ Bouye. Yeah, I think I think I think the Bouye signing changes the the urgency of the cornerback need. Yeah, bit. same 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 here. I think it I think it changed the urgency. And as soon as we signed AJ Bouye, I think the first thing I tweeted after that was. It has to be Sewell or Slater now, um, and it doesn't have to be one of those two. But I do, I do think it has to be a, a focus on getting an offensive lineman early now. So that said, I, I, this discussion, man, like I never thought I'd get here where I was like almost like unanimous, you know, with myself, you know, and thinking what we need to do. Uh, yeah, um, I think I think line, you know, but we need to we need to do that. Certainly for the last five years, my view every year pretty much has been they should trade back and draft an offensive lineman. And obviously like, the trade back thing is more of a philosophy about value and that kind of stuff. But like right. the, the offensive line has never been good since 20, like certainly since Michael Herbs basically you know, retired due to injury. Yeah. The offensive line has not been good since then. It's been shades of okay. In 2017, it was okay. Right. Um, but it's, it's not been good for a, for a long time. And, and, and I, I really want that to change. I mean, going back to when Cam Newton was playing, 
um, before he got hurt. Back in that was the last time he wasn't hurt was 2017 and early in 2018. I really despise the fact that they didn't put quality offensive linemen around him late in his time here. Yeah. Um, and then nobody since then, obviously, has had a good offensive line going from Kyle Allen to um, to Will Greer's, you know, five quarters of play and then Teddy Bridgewater last year. I don't think either staff, the Rivera staff late or the Matt Rule staff early, have done a good enough job in building an offensive line because I don't, I don't see serious football teams with bad offensive lines. You know, no, all no. the all of the top quarterbacks around the league, any of the guys that we talk about being elite around the league, and there's only like five or six of those guys. They all have good offensive linemen around them, unless they're like injury ravaged or something. But those organizations yeah. who know that they have a guy. The one the one exception to that might be Seattle, worryingly. Yeah, yeah. And and that's and that's kind of scary though. You yeah. know, when you think about it, because I was gonna say that. I was gonna say the caveat to that whole discussion of elite quarterbacks with offensive linemen is the Seattle Seahawks, where Russell Wilson has been operating at a high level for years without a consistent good offensive line. And to, and to be fair to Seattle, well, to be both critical and fair to Seattle, I think it's not because they haven't invested in their offensive line. They've just been bad at doing so. Like, you know, they, they've drafted offensive linemen in the first round. They've drafted offensive linemen in the second round. They've yeah. just made bad choices when they've done that. Yeah, you know, yeah, and 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 one of the guys are not great examples of spending like top two round draft picks on offensive line. Yeah, and and, you know, and, and unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say this because I'm not a hot taker, um, but unfortunately, one of the guys who were who was part of that organization and scouting those bad offensive linemen that they took is now our GM. Yeah, and that, so that hopefully, yeah, <laughs> it should be a concern. Just being as objective as possible. If we know that amongst the teams with the top QBs, um, the only one of them that has a consistently marginal to decent offensive line is Seattle, then you're like, okay, why didn't they draft better or why didn't they acquire better? And then you look and see who was there. It's like, okay, now that guy's our GM. Is he going to improve on his ability to, to evaluate offensive line talent um, you know, at the college level and draft the right guys to come in here and build what I want to be an elite offensive line. I want people to talk about the Carolina Panthers offensive line like they talk about the best teams around the league and say, you know what, that offensive line is solid, you know, across the board. Like, you know, like Cleveland, you know, isn't a great team by any stretch, but they didn't make the playoffs last year. And the one thing I can give Cleveland credit for is that, even when they were bad sometimes, like they they had good offensive linemen. And, and then when I look at how much they improved in the past year or so, I can give a lot of credit to what they did because of how good the offensive line was. And so yeah. I want I I just want the commentators when they watch the Carolina Panthers, you know, to talk about how well our team blocks and you know and and you know and how nasty we are up front. And I'm sure the, the front office wants that too, but as a fan, I just want to not be noted just for, you know, the running back, you know, some good receivers, you know, some good playmakers on defense, 
I want them to look at that offensive line unit and say, you know what, that Carolina offensive line is is the truth. It, you know, they 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 are scary up front. And so, um, so See, anyway, I I, I think yeah. I would almost settle for something slightly different, which is I think I settle for the offensive line never being mentioned. Which is I, oh, because, I, yeah, they're not, because, because they're not problematic. I mean, it's one of those, but it's not just they're not problematic, but like if the offensive line is really good, the way it shows up is by things not happening. Okay. So it shows up by nobody penetrating against the run. It shows up as some people not getting pressure. It doesn't, it, good offensive line play doesn't have to look particularly spectacular. It can be really dull a lot of the time, good offensive line play, because it's just yeah. two people not really moving very much. But as long as, you know, it's not just one 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 of them not moving very much. That's fine. Like you know, if 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 you keep dropping back to pass, and no one's coming to hit you in the first three 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 and a half seconds, that's that's success. Like you know, you right. don't. It doesn't have to be pancake blocks and you know being driven off the ball and these spectacular run blocks. Like if you're just doing your job consistently, effectively, that that's that's worth a lot, really. Yeah, kind of like the Saints' offensive line. Like you yeah. don't hear anybody talk about any one of their guys in particular, but you never hear anybody talk about any one of their guys being, you know, giving up a lot of sacks or just being bad, you know, in, in run blocking or pass protection. You don't hear that name. So I guess, you know, I, I can see it Joe way, man. I, I just think I'm just so tired of being bad to where I just want to hear us being, hear somebody say that we're good. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. on the thing is you, you can be really, really good on the offensive line without it being something that stands out. Like it, it's the, it's, it's a, yeah, it just, it just, turns up as you sort of like well, they seem to have a lot of time to throw every time they drop back and the running back just keeps getting like four or five yards every time yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that's what i see like i see these elite guys that people talk about being elite you know like year after year and then when i get to watch them play you know especially in the playoffs because like we haven't been there in a while you know i'm watching these good teams play and it's like like dag like he was sitting back there for five seconds, you know, like, like yeah. he had forever to find that guy, you know, 30, 40 yards down the field, you know, and it's, it's amazing because honestly, Vincent, you watch Panthers football. I watch Panthers football. Everybody that's probably listening and watch almost every game and every snap. When's the last time you seen a Panthers quarterback sit in the pocket untouched for more than three seconds? I mean, Cam Newton did it a fair amount, but that was because they used to run two receivers down the field and they'd be in, like, max protection half the time. You have, like, seven guys protecting. I mean, I think that – I mean, personally, I think that makes the issue worse, not better. Um, yeah, it, it does because it, it masks it. You know, like, and, you know, like that, last year, going into last year, having man hurts, uh, you know, essentially being the plan at tight end because he could be, like, a sixth offensive lineman. In, and the year before, it's like, come on, man. Th- th- there were times in 2017, I think it was, where in like obvious passing situations, the Panthers had Ed Dixon playing right tackle and just like he was like set it like actually pass setting as the right tackle and they just double the, the right. Because and to be fair, like I, I mean, I think that's a bit extreme, but ultimately you can afford to have weaknesses on the offensive line. Like I, I, there was a, I think on Twitter, like Mitchell Swartz, I think it was, was actually talking about this week. But like if you know you've got four good offensive linemen and one bad offensive lineman, you can actually then scheme to protect that one guy. You can play one-on-one on one half and you can just chip with a tight end or you can help inside. You know, if you, if you know where the issue is going to be, you can plan to defend it. Right. Um, but yeah, I think the issue comes when you start having like two weaknesses or three weak points, particularly right. if they're guys next to each other. Because if, you know, if your left guard and your left tackle are both bad, 
then it's really hard because then you've got to have the center helping onto the left guard and you've got to have someone chipping to help the left tackle. And then it means that if anyone wraps around from the right to left, you've then got all kinds of issues. And it, it, yeah, it, you can't afford to have that. You know, Generally, you want to have everyone of an equal level or everyone at a certain level. It's much better to have five pretty good offensive linemen than three great and two bad. Yeah. But, but, but if there's one bad guy, you can kind of mask that a lot. But it's when you start getting two bad guys, three bad guys, it starts to become just impossible to cope with. And, you know, to that point, as you were explaining that, I was thinking about that previous conversation we had about the value of our best offensive weapon, Chris McCaffrey. And thinking about Joe Brady's offense, and I know that he wants to block it up with five, right? And that allows for Chris McCaffrey to get out in space and do what he does best, create mismatches all over the field. Mm -hmm. We're going to need to be able to block with five, yeah, right? And right now, based on what you've already described, we only have Taylor Moten, and honestly, we only know we have him for one year. Yeah. Um, as of today, and Matt Paradis at center, and everything else are moving pieces across the yeah. offensive line. I, I, so I would, that said, <laughs> I, I would, I, the one other thing I would say is like actually protecting with five does not necessarily put more pressure on your offensive line. It puts more pressure on your quarterback to process quickly and get the ball out. Like yes. that's that's where it really puts pressure, and it puts pressure on your scheme to make that possible because. If, if you're blocking with five, what that means is then, sure, if they rush four, then you've got four and five. But it's sort of four and five. The, the, the issue comes is if you're protecting with seven, the advantage that has is that if they blitz, you will always have enough men to pick it up. Whereas right. if you're protecting with five, if they blitz, it's on the quarterback to recognize it and get the ball out to an open receiver. Because right. if, if they bring six and you're blocking five, it's man across the board, basically. And, and, and you've got to be able to get a ball out in that situation. So... So, so blocking with five doesn't actually make things harder for the offensive line necessarily. It just means that if things aren't working well in terms of quarterback and scheme, then the offensive line is the bit that's going to look bad because it's going to lead to sacks. And, and, and that's what I think we started to see, you know, late last year or when we played against teams who were really good at um, getting pressure on us. And, you know, and, and those games were the Chicago games, you know, the, uh, the Chicago game, the Tampa games, when we played the Saints, you know, they were good at getting pressure against our five. And when the quarterback and or the scheme struggled to to see, you know, the, the opportunities or, you know, to get the ball out quick, you know, then we saw calamities yeah. <laughs> um, consistently. And, and, and I don't want to see that. And, you know, one no. thing we have to figure out with Sam Donald and then, we, you know, we'll, we'll move on after this point is – we know from extensive discussion last year about what this offense should look like under Joe Brady. We know that it's a quick passing scheme. They require quarterbacks who can process quickly, get the ball out to the open man very quickly. The one question about our new presumed starting quarterback is, can he do that consistently? Um, because all of these things have to work in order for us to be effective on offense. And um, you know, it starts with the offensive line and the quarterback, you know, and the scheme, you know, but everybody has to execute the way it's designed to execute. And, you know, if, if you don't make that quick read, if you're not a quick processor, it's going to show up and it's going to make yeah. the offensive line look worse than they actually are. 
Um, and, and, and a lot of things can go wrong, but we hope to fix that. And, and yes. so that's what today's episode is, is really focused on. It took us a while to get here, but it's, it's on the offensive line. And, and the reason we waited so long to have this discussion about the offensive line is because it's one of the most important aspects of the team. It's, you know, it's not very sexy in terms of you know, getting notoriety. But like Vincent mentioned a little while ago, a good offensive line is an offensive line that you don't have to discuss. And in order to have that, you have to have good players up front. They don't have to be um, league MVPs. They won't be league MVPs. Um, but if they keep your quarterback clean, if they open up running lanes for your running back, if your team is scoring and is not being stopped because there's penetration in the backfield, stifling your running back, if you know your quarterback isn't on his back every play from pressures, quarterback hits, sacks, then it's because you have a decent offensive line. And so fortunately for the Panthers, there are a few very good offensive linemen who will be available early in the draft. Um, they're not all the same. This episode is going to focus on not just the offensive tackles, but also the interior offensive linemen. And just making a note on what Scott Fitterer said, and you know, and, and so have this in the back of your minds when when Vincent is talking about these guys, is he wants flexibility across the offensive line. So if you're a tackle, he wants a tackle who can maybe play both tackles or slide in from tackle to guard. So those guys who offer that flexibility are going to be higher on his list than some other guys. Um, if you're an interior offensive lineman, then I think you should have the ability to play three positions across the interior offensive line um, in order to maximize your value for a Scott Fitterer. And you know you should be able to play left guard, right guard, maybe even center. And so um, we don't we won't, we won't go into detail, you know, you know, for every prospect like that, but. It, you know, it will provide some context as to why these guys are rated the way that they are. And um, and especially when we get to, you know, who could fit the Panthers. So um, with no further ado, Vincent, who are your top offensive line prospects, offensive lineman prospects for the 2021 NFL draft? So I think there are a few guys I'll talk about. Um, a tackle, I think my top three are Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech, and Penny Sewell from Oregon. Okay. Um, I think, as we mentioned earlier, the Panthers are in a bit of an interesting position in terms of the tackle position. I think if you want someone who can come in and start right away, I think Slater is the best. Um, I think he's the most technically um, efficient uh, guy. He uses his hands really well. Um, he plays with pretty good pad level, though that could be better. Um, and he, he's reasoned disciplined in his footwork. And while he's not going to sort of move people off the ball in the run game, I think the Panthers seems to be more about directional blocks and, and moving people with, with technique and scheme. And I think he does that really well, uses his hands well, and has, has the footwork to, to create lateral leverage in that way. Um, he does have some ultimate limitations. I don't think he's got the very, very top-tier foot speed in pass protection. And I think probably he... He's going to be more like an Isaiah Wynn um, than a like prototype left tackle. So I, I think he, yeah, he, he probably isn't ever going to be an, uh, an all-pro, but he's probably going to be a good player fairly early on and has that flexibility to play left tackle, right tackle, can move inside to guard. He, he's probably the, the safest of the offensive line picks, but probably 
other guys who are in consideration for the eighth pick probably doesn't have the highest ceiling. Um, I think Darasaur is an interesting player. I think he has, a, a again, potential to be flexible in terms of guard and tackle, but um, plays a really good pad level, good foot speed, um, pretty good power. Uh, his issue is all with his hand usage. I think he's, you know, he's one of those players where if he's asked to play right away and doesn't get any better, I think he'll struggle because I think his hand usage isn't very good. Um, his arms get too wide, which creates issues like directing his punch and also with extending his arms. But but I think if, if you can fix that, then I think he can be a really good player. Um, I think he's possibly the best combination of ceiling and floor. If, if you're looking, if you're, if you're definitely looking for a left tackle, like if, if you're sold that Greg Little is not the guy, then I think Darasaur's upside maybe pushes him ahead of Slater, but I think that's a real conversation. Um, I think the other guy is Sewell. Um, so he's kind of been the consensus top tackle, and I think he probably does have the highest ceiling of the tackles yeah. in this draft. Like, you know, he's got really good foot speed, really, really good power, locates his hands well. Um, but I think he's probably a bit more of a project than the than the other two. Like, I think he... He, like his pad level and his stance probably needs a bit of work. He gets too high quite often and it creates balance issues and and, and creates some issues like um, controlling blocks. So I think he's he's more of a project and probably is a guy that, although he's like these three guys are probably a tier apart from everyone else for me, I think he's really the one that would make the least sense for the Panthers, though probably is the one who has the biggest payoff ultimately if he, if he works out. Um, right. I, again, I, th- I think he's less flexible i think he is tackle only really like i'd be i'm not sure he'll ever be that good if he has to move inside to guard so i think if you draft him you draft him to be a tackle probably a left tackle and because actually if he works it out then he works it out left or right so he you know he he, his is more about getting the technique down than how good he'll be when he gets the technique down um so I think that the order for me would probably be Slater, Darasaur, and Saul, but it really is quite close. And it's more about how you balance immediate contribution versus long-term upside. So I think that's that's really the conversation between those three. Um, in terms of the interior guys, I think my top three are Creed Humphrey, Elijah Viritaka, and Wyatt Davis. Um, Humphrey, I think, is possibly the best pure offensive lineman in this draft. I mean, he, he's, you know, he's one of those players who, who doesn't stand out athletically on tape all the time, but tested extremely well. I think he was, like, he had the highest, like, they, there's like a, I can't remember what it's called, is it Raz? I think the, the, um, yeah, the, the, yeah, the Raz. Yeah, 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 he, he has the highest Raz of any center ever. Um, so, like, he is, he is a really, like, you know, he played center, he can play guard as well, but, like, he's a really good athlete. He uses his hands really well. He plays with pretty good um, knee bend. Again, with most players, Eben can always get better, but his is, his is pretty good. Um, you, you know, he has good footwork. He was, you know, he played guard at the senior bowl and was really impressive there. Very good in pass protection. Just a really, really solid player. Um, Vera Tucker maybe has a bit more upside and he's, he's, a, he's a tackle who will be moving inside to guard. Was pushed a little bit for foot speed at, at, at tackle and will probably benefit from not having to cover quite so much ground. Um, but also there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve in terms of, takings like the limitations of speed caused some technical issues at tackle that should be fixed by moving inside to guard but in terms of you know he'll need to play with better knee bend and, and get his elbows inside more but that should be possible and when he did play guard i think in 2018 he looked more technically comfortable at guard than he did at tackle um so i think he's 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 probably more of a pure guard so he doesn't quite have the same flexibility even though he could maybe play a bit of right tackle um, but but he's also very, very good. It should be an immediately high-quality player. Um, White Davis is a bit more of a project. 
I think he he has more issues in terms of his knee bend. Like he does play a bit upright at times. But also, you know, if you're looking for an out and out, again, more of an out and out guard, but really good power, locates his hands well, good foot speed. I think he probably compares more to Saul in that sense of like, if he works it out, he can be a really high quality guard. There's just maybe a little bit more technical tweaking he needs. But I think in terms of the Panthers, I don't think they'll take an interior guy in the first round. And if they do, it will be because they've traded back to like the 20s. So, you, you know, I don't think right. they'll take a Creed Humphrey or a Vera Tucker with the eighth pick. In terms of the tackles, I I think they're probably maybe in terms of the flexibility stuff, Darasaur and Slater have a lot more appeal than Sewell does in that regard. Yeah. Um, I think then it becomes more about like upside versus floor. And I think that's really a, that depends about how you feel about Cal Irving and Greg Little. Because if you don't if you don't need the guy to start week one, then you can maybe afford to take a Darasaur and develop him a little bit more or, or draft him, accepting that he might not be ready to start week one. Whereas if you're like, we need we need a left tackle to start week one, we're not, you know, we, we ultimately we can't start these guys, then I think it's it's hard to see a, a, someone being better week one than Slater. Yeah, and, and and that's where I've been, you know, with the the tackle discussion. I've been asked a lot on Twitter. Know what I think about the top tackle prospects, and the only one of these guys I've seen play in live action was Rashawn Slater, and I was impressed by what I saw, um, particularly against the Ohio State defense. You know yeah. where you know clearly there's a talent difference between the two teams, but he held up very well against that defense. Um, they didn't have like a dominant pass rusher like they've had in years past. Chase Young, Chase Young, and Bosa. No, he, so he, he he Slater didn't play twenty twenty. So he played twenty nineteen. That, that wasn't Slater. No, <laughs> I, thought I, was watching it. I thought he was out there. I'm fairly certain yeah, he opted so. out. So he's. I mean, the, the big game for him was the one against Chase Young. Um, but, so yeah, so that's the one that they point to. Yeah, yeah, with, and with Ohio State, yeah, and he and, probably played. He played Chase Young about as well as anybody. And I think I think that's like I probably that's I should I should make this point really that even if his ultimate ceiling is not that high, when he gets outmatched, he does a pretty good job of hanging with it. Like yeah. you know, Chase Young probably got the better of him on a number of snaps, but Slater made it hard enough for him that he wasn't able to get home. That that okay. he, he, even when he loses reps, he doesn't lose that quickly, and he doesn't lose that many reps. So that's well, a, a I mean. I was quite critical of Daryl Williams when he was, he was with the Panthers, but one skill he really did have is that he was able to prolong losing really well. And Slater has that similar ability where even when he loses the rep, he makes it, he drags out that defeat and makes it, makes it last for as long as possible to give the quarterback as much time. Right. Right. As you know what I'm thinking, I know there's a big gap on my part. We're talking about Slater. Um, I was thinking about a totally different game altogether. I was thinking about the actual there was a left tackle for Cincinnati. I don't know. Oh, if James Hudson. Yeah. Hudson. Yeah. I was I was thinking about Hudson playing against the Georgia defense where yeah. I was looking at and that uh, he ended up getting hurt that game, I believe. And yeah, we, uh, we, he held up well. Yeah, I mean we can talk about James Hudson a bit later, because I think he is someone who the Panthers will also look at. But um yeah. yeah he, so he, that's the guy I had that twisted up. So if you're listening, don't 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 bash me too bad for getting that off. But it was Hudson against the Georgia defense where I thought he held up very well. Yeah, or no. a smaller school guy, I guess a big a bit school. But um, but that's a good point though. I, I, I did see Slater. I was gonna mention that because I remember seeing some footage early on about Slater, you know, showing him against um Chase Young and he really held his own um in that game. Uh, but you know, going back to what I was saying, you know, Slater to me is the the most consistent 
Yeah. Of the three. And like you said, he doesn't have the same ceiling as Sewell because, you know, everybody's been saying Sewell all year long, you know, as being the top left tackle prospect. But I think what people have to realize is, you know, if if the Panthers really need, like you said, a left tackle to come in and, and, and contribute day one, then it's Slater. Yeah. Um, if they're waiting more for the upside and the ceiling that they have to offer, then it's going to be more of the Sewell or Darosaw. I saw Darosaw um, on the NFL Network a few days ago. I think he was being interviewed by them, and and I was I came away impressed. You know, I was impressed by his confidence, um, and you know, and his ability. And you know, you you like guys who are self assured. I know they all have to say that because they're all trying to be drafted really high. Um, but yeah. Darasaw is one of those guys that if the Panthers end up in a situation where they're able to trade back into the early teens, um, then he's somebody that I hope that they would consider. Yeah, I think, I think they would. Yeah. And, um, you know, for me, if we trade back, you know, there are two guys who I think that they should focus on if we trade back into the early teens. Not the late teens, but the early teens. And that's Darasaw. Uh, for a left tackle or guard and J.C. Horn maybe at cornerback. And I know, you know, that's a different conversation, but those are the two guys that I've been thinking about all along. And so, I, I mean, those are some good, some really good prospects. And, and, and as you said, at number eight, we probably won't consider drafting a guard like um, an interior offensive lineman like no. Reed Humphrey, Vera Tucker, or Wyatt Davis. But, but there's a chance that at least one, maybe two of those guys, Humphrey and Davis in particular, could be there in a second round, say. So yeah. I, th- I think Vera Tucker probably goes top 20, certainly top 25. But but Humphrey or, or Davis could well be there early second, early mid-second. So I think they, even if you don't get one of them in the, the first round, like they are definitely guys, if Creed Humphrey's there on the board in the second round, that's a, that's really going to be a really hard player to pass on. Yeah, and, and you know, and Creed Humphrey, you know that, and I know it's silly, you know, but I actually think he has like the best offensive line name, offensive lineman name in the draft. You know, Creed Humphrey has always stood out to me as a tough guy, and um, and yeah, you know, I've seen him mocked, you know, late first, early second, consistently. I hope that that's true, you know, because he is definitely a guy that I would love to get on day two if we, oh, yeah, if we no. got the you know the crazy part is you know it happens this discussion although I it wouldn't be as exciting it would be lovely to get a Rashawn Slater or a Darasaw or Sewell in the first round you know somehow and then even coming back in round two and picking up a Creed Humphrey like to me that, that would that, be that would be the absolute best case and I, I, I mean I, <laughs> I, I, did, I did a mock draft I think last week um and I, it was sort of like this basically setting up what I thought was like the best case scenario for the Panthers. And it yeah. was trade being able to trade back a few picks, still get one of these top offensive tackles, and then getting a Creed Humphrey in the second round. I think that like if 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 you really, I mean obviously it depends a bit what we do, like third round stuff, but if you come out of the first day and a half with one of the top offensive tackles and one of, say, Creed Humphrey or White Davis, I think then like we've got two of the five pieces for our offensive line. Yeah. And, and it- and to me, man, like that would be tremendous. You know, when when I really think as rational and logical as I can think about what we need, if we came away looking like that, like you said, after the first day and a half, we would be sitting pretty to do whatever we need to do for the remainder of the draft and just going out and getting the you know the best guys and yeah. you know the most needed positions. 
And so, uh, and I want that, that's, you know, like I said, in the spirit of what I mentioned earlier, you know, all the flux and all the question marks, you know, about the offensive line beyond this year and this year, you know, to get the, you know, two top guys in the first two days of the draft would be just outstanding for, for the Panthers um, and for the quarterback, you know, and, and for our potential for success going forward. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So, you know, those are our top prospects, you know, Rashawn Slater, Christian Darasong, Penny, uh, Penny Sewell, Sewell at um, tackle. And then we had Creed Humphrey, Vera Tucker, and Wyatt Davis in the interior. So let's talk about your overrated tackles and interior linemen. Yeah. So this draft class has got quite a lot of praise um, for its depth. And yeah. in some ways, I can see that. Like, I think if you, if you want a passable like number two tackle or an okay guard i think this is going to be a good draft to get like you know spend a fourth or fifth round pick right um like a yeah, third fourth round pick but i think there's i think for the panthers in particular if you're if you're looking for essentially yes unless they're sold on taylor moten going if right. you're if you're drafting a tackle it has to be someone you think can play left tackle at a high level in the nfl right. and i think i would be very i would be disappointed if the Panthers come away having spent a day two pick on the likes of Eichenberg from Notre Dame, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama, hey, or man. Dylan hey, Reynolds hey, hey, hey. From, from North Dakota State. Hey, 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 Eichenberg. Like, be easy on my guy, man. He, like, he's fine. He's a top 10 tackle in this draft for me. Like, like I think yeah. Eichenberg and Leatherwood are my number 10, 11 tackles. Yeah. Um, and I think they're perfectly decent players who can be Passed up with starters in the NFL, but I don't think I think there's a risk they get overdrafted because I think I think there really is a bit. You know, you've got I haven't mentioned him as like the next tier, but like Tevin Jenkins doesn't make sense to the Panthers because I think he really is right tackle only. Um, right. But like you know, he's probably going to go late first, and I think that's probably about right. Um, late yeah. first, early second is about right for him. Um, and then after that, in terms of guys who are going to make a contribution right away, there's really a big gap, like. You're the, there's a couple of games we'll mention later in terms of like central, like late day two, early day three picks who could be like borderline starters. But I I don't see where the upside is in a pick like Eichenberg or Leatherwood or, or, or Radon. I mean, Radon's I think is, is, is slightly worse still, though he's obviously a bit more developmental, which is understandable given his FCS background. But I think if you draft a guy like Eichenberg in the second round, like what what upside does he have? Like I don't, I can't see a situation where he's in a like even an, an average left tackle. I think he's going to be a like if he's playing at left tackle, he's going to be a below average starter. Like his ceiling is as a below average starter. Same with Leatherwood. And I'm just not sure what value you get from going from, like, even if you think Cam Irving and Greg Little are terrible, like, I'm not sure why you would spend a second or a third round pick getting below average. Like, you know, I, 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 I don't see what the upside is with those picks. I think Leatherwood struggled in pass protection in college. He struggled in pass protection at the senior bowl. I think he just doesn't have the foot speed to play a high level of pass protection. I think his yeah. base gets too narrow and he struggles for control as a run blocker. I, I, I just, I. Do you think Eichenberg struggles as a pass protector? I mean, did, were you saying that? Do you think he's like bad at Well, I think there's a difference. There's a difference between a bad pass protector in, in, in college and having vulnerabilities that NFL players will exploit. Like I just yeah. don't I don't think Eichenberg is is that good. Um I think his foot speed is actually decent. Um, but he his his pad level is consistently pretty bad. Um 
and that has quite a lot of knock-on effects and and it, you know if you're really really convinced you can develop him and make him significantly better and and you know improve his pad level which will improve his weight distribution and actually then improve his hand usage all this kind of stuff like like he for me has more like i understand eichenberg more than leatherwood like leatherwood i just don't see the upside really yeah um, i mean between the two and I, I know i'm biased you know i would no, I, 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 over, over leatherwood. I, I would but not by that much i i i think the thing that concerns me particularly i mean radons is a bit of a different matter because you know i just think he's a, a really raw player who doesn't have like elite athletic traits yeah. um but with eichenberg and leatherwood it's like they've come out of probably the two schools that have produced the most technically well-rounded offensive tackles in the last 10 years. Maybe a and is the other um, college that has produced a lot of like high like tackles in the NFL. Yeah. And it's like, if you're coming out, I mean, this is probably more true for Eichenberg, but like if you're coming out technically underdeveloped from Notre Dame, how confident are you going to be that you're going to suddenly make massive technical improvements in the NFL? Like particularly, is he is he a, he's a redshirt senior, isn't he? Is he just a senior? I can't remember, but he's not. He's not a young. You know, he's not twenty years old kind of thing. I don't think. I will just check. No, that. he's not. You know, no, he's he's definitely a, he's definitely a senior. I don't know if he is redshirt or or just yeah. a natural senior. Yeah, no, and, you know, that, that's not the end of the world. But it's like you know, he's a probably certainly not a young prospect, shall we say? And you're right. going like, okay, wh- why why am I expecting you to make sudden technical improvements? Over over others, so yeah, he's a redshirt senior. Like, yeah, I, I, so he's older, so he's a yeah. lot older coming out. Yeah, I mean, and there, there should there there are always concerns with older prospects in terms of their development anyway. But like, if you're an older, if you're a redshirt senior coming out of Notre Dame with technical flaws as an offensive lineman, I'm I'm inclined to think the issue with your technical development is more around you than the coaching. And and, and even if it's not you, you're now at an age where you have enough bad habits that it's going to be quite hard to rectify that. And I, I think if you took Eichenberg in the fourth round and we're like, we need a right tackle who's going to be fine. He's not going to be good, but he's going to, you know, if you're looking for like a Daryl, like Daryl Williams is a good example. The Panthers drafted him in the fourth round. He was a adequate starter at right tackle. Was never a great, you know, I know he got like a second team all pro, but barring that kind of weird anomaly where I think the, the, the press lost their mind for a little bit. Um, like he, he was, he was, you know, he's been a decent starter in Buffalo this year. Like, you know, if he's the, if he's your worst starter, then you've got a pretty good offensive line. But if he's right. your like if he's an actual if he's if he's if he's your like number two or number three offensive lineman, you've got a really bad offensive line. Um, and I think that's kind of thing with like Daryl Williams, and I hate to say this because he wasn't horrible the whole time he was in Carolina, but <laughs> he was the bane of my existence in 2019. And the fact, and it wasn't his fault. You yeah, know, that was, Ron Rivera tried to use him at left tackle. I mean, it, yeah, it, it, he was not good. He wasn't good. And and I, I, I'm really slow to to really, like, berate players, especially on Twitter. But I really hated watching him playing football in 2019. And I'm glad that he went to Buffalo to a familiar staff and he was able to kind of, like, revive his, his career. He got back to playing right tackle. And he looked pretty comfortable doing that, you know. But um, but yeah, I just I'm over, and I think that's probably part of the reason I feel the way I'm feeling today is because I've seen guys like that um on the on the Panthers offensive line in recent years, and I'm like, please just get us somebody who's legit, you know, but like yeah, I want somebody legit. But but I think I mean I think Darren Williams is, is a good example because he's an example of a player who who has some fundamental athletic limitations in pass protection, like you know, right. in the same way that Mark Mike Remmers did. 
Like, you know, Mike Brown is, is actually a pretty good offensive linesman. You know, he's not amazing, but like, he's fine. He just doesn't have the foot speed to take on top tier speed rushes and pass protection, right. such as Von Miller, for example. Um, yeah. And and if this is kind of because I was talking about earlier, like if you know if, if in 2015, I think this is Mike Schuler's one of the big criticisms you could have of Mike Schuler amongst many to be there. But like in that in that Super Bowl, they should have let the other four offensive linesmen handle their their, their duty and just helped Mike Remmers. Like if yeah. you know. If they're going to match up Von Miller on Mike Remmers one on one, he's going to lose that. As are ninety percent of tackles in the NFL. Right, almost everybody. And so, so you know, if you get to a situation where like that guy is your worst guy, like if, if Liam Meikenberg are drafting to be your fifth offensive tackle, or Alex Leatherwood is going to be your your sorry, your fifth offensive lineman, absolutely fine. Just don't spend a second round pick on that. And also, it's not what the Panthers need. Like I, I think they're guys who are going to get overdrafted because teams need tackles rather than because they're particularly good players. Like, I, I think they're mid-round picks who will be drafted day two. Which... I got you. I mean, yeah, I, and, and honestly, what I've seen Eichenberg, you know, be be drafted on Mots or whatever to the Panthers, it was always in the second round, and it was because we picked another position with pick eight. But, and, yeah, I just – I, I but, think there's a very good chance that Eichenberg is no better than Greg Little or Cam Irving. Yeah, I mean, and if he's no better than Greg Little – or Cam Irving, then, yeah, I'm with you. Then why? I, I, like I said, I'm biased, though. And I'm always going to be biased, you know, for my Notre Dame uh, players, you know, because I always see them in a better light than most people. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, but, I, but I, I get your technical, you know, um, issues with them. And, and you know, and obviously in the college game, you don't see that as much. And he looked really solid, you know, when I saw them play um, this year. And, and, and so that's when, that's when I really started, you know, like, Engaging them, you know, in terms of being a prospect, and but you know, I, I do think because I know that, you know, you do get you know some hype, you know, from being a Notre Dame offensive lineman or player in general. Sometimes um, I think he may be benefiting from some of that because of where he plays and the people who have came before him. You know, um, yeah, I, so, I think to be fair, he was he was definitely the best of Notre Dame's um, offensive linemen this year. Yeah. You know, at least to the guys who declared for the draft, because I've watched quite a lot of Notre Dame's offensive line this year, because they have, I think, yeah. four, four, four offensive line. We do, yeah. And he is the best of them by some margin, I think. Like, I, yeah. I, I think he is the one who has it. I, I think he's the only one who I would bet on becoming an NFL starter. I like, I like, I like Hainsy. I think it's Hainsy too. I just, yeah, I think he's just limited athletically. Like, I think he's just yeah, going to. He maybe. I, I think he's, you know, it, it's one of those things where. I think I think it shows up a lot when you, when you talk about offensive linemen. Is that like, I, I, and it's, it's true for guys like Rashawn Slater as well. Like when Rashawn Slater was playing like good college edge rushers, he looked great, like absolutely great. But right. then when you go against Ohio State and they've got like first round picks rushing against you, then their athleticism exposes the technical flaws. And with Slater, I think he's still good enough that those technical flaws are are ultimately things he can work around and still play well. Yeah. Whereas. Um, I can remember Jonah Williams when he was at Alabama, who again, you know, I think he's a, like, Eichenberg is maybe a good comp for Jonah Williams. Jonah Williams was drafted in the first round and he's a f- okay NFL tackle. Like, you know. Yeah. You mean they dra- went from Cincinnati, right? The yeah, yeah. Alabama. If, yeah. If they drafted him in the third round, fine. Like, you know, yeah. he's absolutely fine. If you draft Eichenberg in the third, fourth round, fine. But yeah. he's a guy who's going to go top 50 and that seems... That seems too rich for me for a guy who I ultimately don't think has the athletic upside to 
to really you know make up for that to justify that kind of selection. Well, I mean, I'm I'm okay with that, but you know, best of luck to to you, Liam. I hope that you turn out to be an all pro. <laughs> so the, those those are your the way the way all pro votes work. I wouldn't bet against the way the way the all pro voting works. I wouldn't necessarily bet against that, but. Uh, Oh, yeah, you're right, you're not, right. not, not always the most reliable assessment of a player's ability, particularly on the offensive it. line. We take all wins for you know for Notre Dame guys. Um, so, who are your overrated interior offensive linemen? Yeah, so again, Landon Dickerson from Alabama, Trey Smith from Tennessee, and Quinn Minutes from Wisconsin Whitewater. I mean, yeah, I mean, my, are all big names. Minutes, I think I should probably be clear. Like, I think Minutes is a good, pretty good prospect. Like, again, if he was taken as a mid-round pick, I'd agree with that. But I think yeah. the hype has maybe got a little bit out of control. Um, he, is, he, is, he is ultimately quite a raw prospect still, and I think has a reasonable path to go to being a good offensive linesman. Um, so I think uh, if I, I, I think Quinn has that that Gardner Minshew effect, you know, where he has that rock star appeal. You know, he's a guy's guy. You know, I, I still remember the picture of him. I think at the Senior Bowl or somewhere with his stomach out. You know, NFL dudes love stories like that long yes. hair big bellies you know can 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 move mountains you know and so i don't so, think yeah, that's a, a particularly good method of evaluation person i know I, I, I don't either you know but he did he's on the national radar now yeah no no i, I think he proved at the senior bowl he belongs to be drafted as a top 150 pick certainly yeah certainly top 150 pick like he, you know he belongs in the nfl he looks like an nfl prospect like you know he's not just some like you know, good story from a small school type thing. Like he, he no, belongs. And, and, and I think, I think, and people need to to be okay with that too. You know, like you said, him being from a small school and you know, and and being a really good player from a small school school, and being found is is a really big victory for him. Yeah, that doesn't mean he has to be a second round pick. You know, mm. I, I think a guy like that, honestly. And I hate to say it, you know, because he's, he's put in the work, but he's really fortunate that he put in enough work to be seen and to be, you know, to be put out front like he has to even get drafted, you know, versus having to still scrap as an undrafted free agent or yeah, something like no, that. I so I, I do think he will get drafted. And that's a really good thing. Oh, no, no, he, he absolutely deserves to get drafted. He deserves to get drafted in the first four or five rounds. I'm not disagreeing with that. I just think if you're taking day two, I think you're betting on his development a lot in a way that I think is probably – like I, I obviously, you know, I don't get to talk to these guys and sort of really evaluate them in terms of their coachability and that kind of stuff. And that does, that that is a big factor. Don't get me wrong, but in terms of his tape, I find it hard to see why someone like David Moore, who is also at the Senior Bowl, is also a small school guy. Um, why you know why you'd have Quinn Miners two rounds ahead of David Moore? Like yeah. I, I think ultimately they're both talented guys. I think Moore has possibly more actual raw talent, and both are really quite developmental. And I. I I think Minot's like cult of personality, for lack of a better term, has kind of meant that he's being talked about in a different level from other players who he's ultimately probably in the same kind of tier as. I mean, yeah, you know, he might he might work out and more might not, but and, and that's not really the point. It's more just that ultimately he is a he is a small school developmental offensive lineman with good but not elite traits. Yeah. That gets you drafted in the mid rounds and shouldn't get you drafted, you know. The guys, the small school guys who get drafted really high, are generally guys who have like elite, elite athletic measurables, or just look so pro ready. Like if you're, well, you know, like who's the guy who got drafted not long ago? Taron Armstead. No, 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 no. It was, oh, Alex uh, Kappa. 
No, I mean, it's, it's a few of them. So I'm, I'm, I'm going back a while back, you know, like, was it Marpet? Um, Alex Kappa was a small school guy. Was it Kappa? Okay. He was well, 20. What was, he was, what was Marpet from? I can't remember. Kappa was a third round pick in 2018 out of, I can't remember where Kappa was. Was he washed? Like, he, no, he was really small school. In, okay. Um, I remember Kappa, but like, Kappa is a good example. Like, Kappa and Minots, um, uh, yeah, yes, uh, yeah, Ali Marpok was small school as well. Yeah. He was uh, Hobart, and he was a second-round pick in 2015. Right. And then Alex right. Kappa was, uh, give me one second to find my notes. Alex Kappa was Humboldt State, and he was the third-round pick in 2018. Yeah. Um, and, like, Alex Kappa, I, I can't remember, Marpok was a bit before my time in terms of watching prospects. Yeah, I'm sorry, that yeah, no, no, that's right. It's not, it's not that long ago. But it's, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, 2015, I was watching players for the draft. I just wasn't watching every player for the draft. But, like, tw- 2018, I, like, Kappa's tape was notably better than Minot's. Okay. Like, like, Alex Kappa had, like, legitimately very good tape. Right. Um, so, for me, yeah, he was a third-round pick. was perfectly fine. for, And I, th- I, I wouldn't hate Minot's, like, probably fourth round would be fine with me. I just, if someone drafts him in the second round, then I think that's... It's a it's a bad process, even if it works out, kind of thing. It's crazy because you know, even if he gets drafted by the Panthers somehow, let's say they take a chance on him because they seen him at the at the senior bowl. Yeah, so right. let's say they take a day three flyer on him, and uh, no, not like a day three, but a day two flyer on him, like with a third round pick or something. Like Panthers fans will go crazy just from his you know rock star appeal. So it'd be it'd be interesting to see that. I, I don't, I'm with you, you know. I, I'm not that high on him, but it, it's interesting to watch, you know, them, you know, kind of hype him up a little bit, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping that he wins and he doesn't have to be a Panther to win. I just, I just hope that he wins overall coming from a small school like that. But I think, I think he has a real chance. I just think that, that, that it's about where he's drafted for you. Yeah. It, it, it's about that. Yeah. It's about getting value for, for, for the risk. Basically. But, but one name that you have in the, in the overrated category is a little surprising because, and again, coming from a big school, uh, Landon Dickerson. Yeah. So, yeah, I should probably be clear. He's my number five interior offensive linesman. Like, I don't think okay. he's bad. Like, I think he's a perfectly good player. I just think if right. you take, again, he's another player where like, there's enough issues with him and the upside is limited enough that if you're looking for like a starting center, then I think he makes good, particularly if you're running like a power type scheme. Um, which I, I don't, I don't think he fits the Panthers necessarily. But like, if you're, I think he's a probably a decent starter who can come in and contribute week one. Can he play it's guard? Just, yeah, he can probably play guard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I think if you're talking, like, you know, he's been talked about as maybe a late first round pick, and that for me is, is too high. Too I think, high yeah, I, yeah, I think maybe when you get towards the late second, that's probably when I'd start to kind of think think about selecting him. Um, and he is, I mean, he's still, I, I, I saw, you know, some footage of him cutting cartwheels at uh, yeah. at the Alabama Pro Day, or I don't know if it was the Mac Jones display day or the Pro Day, but I saw him doing cartwheels. So I know he had gotten injured, um, yeah, pretty I think, injury, but I'm assuming he's pretty good if he's doing cartwheels. Oh, you yeah, know, I think, I, I don't think he, there's a concern about him being like, um, being still hurt. It's more just like he's, well, I think he's 23. Three, maybe 20, certainly yeah I think he's 23 um like he's an older prospect which is always a bit of a concern but but also like he's just a again I think he's a good player I don't think he's necessarily an elite player 
Um, okay. And I think he's being talked about like he's going to come in and be an all pro. And I think there's yeah. an outside chance he could be, but I think there are like he, for me, he's not in the Creed Humphrey, Elijah Vera Tucker tier. And he's being talked about like he is basically. He's in that well, I mean, probably. A lot of that, you know, like what we mentioned before, is it's the, it's the Alabama thing. It's the bit school thing. And, you know, when you come from the bit schools and your offense is dominant, you know, then yeah. everybody on offense looks dominant, you know. Um, there's yeah. another. When you win interior, national championships, people. people yeah, you win the championships, yeah. you know, you, you confetti falling all the time, you know, then you start looking a whole lot better than you may be. <laughs> so, um, so then Trey Smith, though, and I'm, I'm and I get these trades mixed up. So Trey Smith, this is Tennessee, right? Yeah. And so Trey Smith, I know a lot of people have been eyeing him, you know, as a, I think he plays left guard. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And so, but you, you know, you have him as being overrated. Why are you have him as being overrated? So I think Trey Smith is an interesting one. So that he, like he was talked about as like this next elite left tackle prospect, like probably three years ago now. Yeah. Um, and then I think he got hurt and he moved inside to guard. And then it's like, well, okay, well, he was this great left tackle prospect, so maybe he can become this great left, a great guard. And yeah. he's clearly very athletic. Don't get me wring Like the athleticism stands up in, on on tape, but he's technically really poor. Um, and again, that's fixable. It's coachable potentially, but it, it's you know, it's not like he's coming out of you know, if if he was coming out of Grambling State or Wisconsin Whitewater, I'd have a bit more time. Um, yeah. for him as a prospect but you know I mean Tennessee have not been good for a while but you know it's an SEC school you're being you know you'd hope the coaching you've got is good enough and he's not like a young prospect anymore and yet right. you watch him on tape and he's just technically all over the place his knee bend is really really poor um his feet he looks he, tall like how he, tall I mean, is he? He, he is he is done wrong he's 6'5 325 like he's, he's a big man yeah but like his base gets really narrow he's off balance almost all the time like he's just so consistently off balance um, and it's almost to the point where, like, if you draft him, you're trying to kind of completely remake his stance. And for a guy who's being talked about as like a day two pick, that's that's a lot of work. Do you do you think his um, his technical flaws have something to do with him being a former tackle and trying to be an interior guy? Or possibly. It, would, but, would he be Would he be bad even if he was? Oh yeah, he'd be, bad, he'd be Oh, he'd be, he'd be bad at tackle. Yeah, like his his feet okay. just get far too close together. He just like stands upright basically. He, he, you know. Okay. I mean, doesn't I think he looked like a guy who carries quite a lot of his weight quite high up in his body. Yeah. Like, you know, he, he, he's like, his legs do not look like the legs of a 325 pound man. So um, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he doesn't hit a leg day. Well, I, 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 <laughs> who, who knows why it is kind of thing, but, but like he, he, but his stance doesn't help. He, he, he tends to stand very upright. I just, yeah. Yeah. He, he's a guy who I think there is, a really significant bust potential. And I'm not sure the upside at guard is ever that high. Um, yeah, I just, again, if you're picking someone like, you know, if he's on the board in the fifth round, sixth round, fine. Like he's got the talent to justify it, but he's one of those, you kind of get this thing in the, with NFL prospects where guys who are like really highly recruited and then aren't bad in college. Like don't, you know, there are guys who like five-star recruits who just flame out and never turn into anything. But the guys who are like consistent starters, but just never live up to their kind of recruitment billing, have a tendency to get sort of slowly talked back up in the draft. And some of them you know, don't, and some of them do, but it, it's kind of, I, I, don't, I don't think, if he had never been the recruit he was, I don't think he'd be, you know, he wouldn't, if his, his college tape does not justify 
being talked about as a day two pick. So he, he's just still carrying a lot of hype. Yeah, like I, I, I don't think he. I think he was probably the third, maybe fourth best offensive lineman for Tennessee last year. Yeah, that's, and that's not good. Like if you had to pick between Trey and Quinn, who you pick? Quinn. Okay, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 Quinn Miners is a guy who has an understandable lack of technical development, but that doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to work it all out. Trey Smith is a guy who has a lot of technical flaws and yet has probably had enough coaching at this point that it's hard to just explain those away. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 he feels more like a guy who has a lot of athleticism that he's just not putting together. And maybe, maybe Tennessee, maybe, maybe the NFL teams think that Tennessee just aren't good at developing guys and that he just hasn't had a good shake of it. And, you know, with NFL coaching, he'll put it all together. But the guy who played in college was not someone you take top hundred picks and I can I can live with that you know like I think the most important segment we do with these episodes is you know talk about the overrated guys and it's not to say that they can't work out or that they won't work out it's just that we're focusing on value for where you anticipate to be drafted at yeah. and so if these guys are taken too early then it becomes a high risk for bust potential. And, you know, where the Panthers currently are in terms of their roster, and we've made some improvements this offseason, I believe, but I still think across the offensive line in particular, we don't have the luxury of being able to miss early. Yeah. I, so, uh, I mean, so, yeah, that's where we are with that. I think the other thing is, is the Panthers, if you look at, I mean, one, yes, you can't afford to just throw away picks, but also if you, if you look at the Panthers' offensive line, it isn't like there's one clear position where you're definitely going to walk in and start, even if you're fine. Like, you know, the Panthers have adequate starters at most positions. Like, you know, John Miller might not be amazing, but he's a passable NFL starter. Right. That elf line is probably a, probably at least based on what it's taped so far, is probably a below average, but has has some room for growth. So he's maybe like a, a below average, but not awful starter. And right. Cam Irving has been pretty poor in his career. But, but you know, it's not like, just being, you know, it's not like the Panthers need to just plug in okay players. They need actually quality players to improve the offensive line. And, and I think it's also important to note that, you know, as well, you know, because a lot of times we think if we draft a guy on day one or day two, that they're just plug and play. And the one thing I will give the Panthers credit for early in this free agency period is that they went out and they, you know, they got Pat Elfline. They, they, got, a, they got Cam Irving. And although these guys aren't household names at offensive line, um, they are guys who have started a significant amount of time in the NFL, a significant amount of games. And a guy coming out of college, you know, won't just automatically come in and just take their role on the roster. No. And, and so you're right in that. And even, you know, Greg Little, you know, like, you know, I think sometimes we just watch these guys out as if they don't have a chance, but, you know, Greg Little has started some NFL games. Dennis Daly has started some NFL games. And, you know, and John Miller, you know, started all of last season. And yeah, so, and, and, know, he was like, and he was fine. He wasn't great, he was but he fine. was fine. Yeah, he was fine. You know, so you're right. You know, there, there are guys, you know, on the team who, if they come out and show well in the offseason, they, then they can be the improvement we need. Um, it's just that, you know, there's not a lot of optimism for that based on what they've done this far in their career. But even with that said, any of these guys that we're talking about today, 
they won't be guaranteed to come in and just usurp those guys on the depth chart. So no, no, but um, but, but, I, but I think that what I would say is important is that um, how can I put this? If you're say talking about drafting a offensive tackle in the first round versus a cornerback in the second round, or a cornerback in the first round and an offensive tackle in the second round, what I would say is is that if you know the Panthers don't need an elite cornerback to come in. You know, right. It would be nice if they did, but if you could just have a passable starter, that would do a lot of, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the strength of your defense kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas a, a passable starter, you know, you know a, a borderline starter at right tackle is not really going to help this team very much. Like you, yeah. you, you either need a, like, you need someone who can be an at least good pass protector by NFL standards at tackle. Like, you know, you, right. you, you need players who actually like are, are good players in, in their positions and I think there's if you look at this draft there is a real gap between the top three guys and everybody else to tackle but Tevin Jenkins being a slight asterisk because of his sort of like particular you know he's going to be a right tackle only really you know he's a he's a, he's a passable pass protector who is a pretty good run blocker which doesn't really yeah. fit the Panthers well, Panthers need but but like you know if the Panthers are drafting an offensive tackle in the second round, they're either getting an absolute steal or they're wasting a pick to a certain degree. Like a, uh, I think that's the issue is, is that the, the the middle ground for offensive linemen is is kind of pretty big. It's kind of like there's a few very good players and then there's a lot of meh. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there, and um, and I totally respect that. But before we wrap this episode up. Can you give us some prospects who may make sense who may make sense for the Panthers outside of the top 10 or the top yeah. prospects, I should say? Yeah, I think there's a few guys to mention. I think in terms of tackles, um, I'd mentioned Stone Forsyth um, from Florida. Um, he's a guy who is kind of was at one point as a UDFA, which I think is ridiculous. He's definitely way better than that. Has now kind of risen to more of like a probably a fourth round pick. I think he's more a depth guy for the Panthers. Like I don't think he'll ever be a left tackle. Um but I think if if you're if you're looking for insurance, particularly if you've already drafted a tackle in the first round, say, and then you address other needs rounds two and three, and then you're really not sure about Moton long term, if you, if you if you, if they're really concerned about Moton moving on, Forsyth is a guy you can draft into the fourth round, can come in, can offer really high quality depth right away, and then could potentially kick out and be your starting right tackle for for a long time. Um, okay. He's a really really tall guy. He's like six for eight, um, right. and which obviously. He plays with pretty good knee bend on the whole, but as a really tall guy, it's always a bit of a, a, a struggle for him to get that sort of perfectly down. Um, so kind of like Trent Brown was out of Florida a couple of years ago, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, a little big bit, yeah. Guy. Really, yeah. really, really big tall guy, really long arms, uses his hands well. Even doesn't look like the fastest feet, does a good job of securing blocks, just really solid. I think he's actually just he's actually quite a similar player to um to Taylor Moten in a way, in that he's probably not ever going to be that very top-tier pass protector, but can be yeah. a solid pass protector who is a legitimately good run blocker. Um, okay. And I, I think it could be a, could be a good number two tackle or yeah, probably like a, a solid to good, like starting right tackle. Um, and for me, I think he is my number five tackle. Like he, he is definitely going on the radar a bit. I think in my view, like he's, if you're comparing him to guys like Eichenberg and, and, and Leatherwood, I think he's both better right now and has a higher ceiling. Wow. Um, certainly than Leatherwood. I think maybe he's ceiling similar to Eichenberg, but I think he's, He's technically better than Eichenberg, I would say. Um, yeah. Even though he maybe doesn't have quite the same foot speed, I think he's probably got more power. Um, so I think he's, yeah, my number five tackle. So I think he's definitely a guy to, to mention. Um, the other guy in terms of like 
I think the only caveat I have for that sort of like day two pick consideration is a guy called Samuel Cosme from Texas, mm-hmm. um, who has loads of athleticism and just hasn't put it together technically. So I, Texas has not produced a ton of good offensive line prospects recently. Um, Connor Williams being sort of the only real caveat to that. And I think Cosme is a guy who definitely will not start right away, but has the upside to be a left tackle in the NFL. Um, So it's kind of, he's a guy that if you're like, okay, Cam Irving slash Greg Little is going to start in the short term, but what we need is a long-term left tackle. We're willing to draft the guy on day two and develop him for a year. I think that's where Cosme makes sense. I think he's, he maybe risks getting overdrafted. So I certainly wouldn't draft him round one, even if you trade back. But if you're picking, if you start getting towards like the late second, early third, then I think maybe he, you know, if you're really convinced about his teachability, maybe, maybe like the second round pick makes sense, but he's a guy who, who has the talent to be a good NFL tackle, just, just needs more work. Um, well, let me ask you this question, you know, speaking of guys like Cosme or anybody, you know, who we are looking at to come in and play left tackle. If they draft a guy, and they envision him playing left tackle. What does that say for Greg Little? You know, would it would he be somebody that they have yeah. to trade for later round or? Later no, round I, 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 I think, I think if you draft a guy who is like Cosme is tackle only, like he's not going to move inside to guard. If you draft a guy like Cosme in the second or the third round, that means that either they're really not sure about Moten staying around, or that Greg Little is done. Okay. Um, and to be fair, like it's one of those things with Greg Little is that he has definitely shown the talent to be a good NFL tackle. That he is, been, I think this year is the year where it either comes together or it doesn't. Like so you know, ultimately, do, do or don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you, you know, he ha- there are some understandable reasons why he hasn't put it all together yet. You know, he's still very young. He had multiple offensive line coaches. Didn't have an off season really last year. You know, had some injuries. Like there, you know, there are some excuses you can make, but ultimately. Yeah, this is year three now. You you either you either look like a starter or you don't. Um, well, people people ask me a lot, you know, if if Greg Little should be moved inside to like left guard or something. Yeah, no, and I always say no. I think he's a natural left tackle. No, he 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 either you know his issues are technical and mental. He either works out a left tackle or he doesn't. Like yeah. that's what I was thinking. Yeah. That's what I said last year. I kind of entertained it because I think that was thrown out there that he could slide in, but after I looked at him more and, and thought about it more, I was like, nah, he's a left tackle, period. Yeah, or, no, no. Or, or bust. So he's a left tackle or bust. Yeah, no, no I think that's probably fair. And I think okay. this is the this is the year where you get that answer. Um, and, and, and to be fair, by the answer, I don't mean like he either plays like an all-pro or he's a bust. I mean that either he starts like looking like a starting left tackle or he doesn't. Like, right. you know, if he still has the, you know, if he's still punching at air, He's still oversetting come week seven, week eight, or if he just like can't put it together in camp, I think then you just, you know, you close that chapter and you, you move on kind of thing. I don't think he's a player. We, you know, yeah. we can't be having this conversation again next offseason. No, you can't. And, you know, honestly, you'll be going into what year four of this yeah. contract anyway. And, and, so maybe and, unless he has something really unlucky, like someone lands on his leg week one and tears his ACL or, you know, and, and, yeah, you know, th- th- there are things that could be caveats to that, but in terms of if he actually plays and is healthy, this is the year. It, it either happens or it doesn't. Um, the the other guy at tackle in terms of players who could make sense for the Panthers outside of the first sort of few rounds is, is James Hudson, the, the Cincinnati oh, yeah, guy. Well, I was mentioning him before from yeah, Cincinnati. who has loads of talent. You know, foot speed, power. You know, bend in the lower body. It's all you know, really, really good athletic tape. 
technically is an absolute mess. Like just every, everything that could be wrong is wrong at least some of the time. Like so why, just, why has he been successful then? Like if he's so bad technically? Probably because he's just way more athletic than the guys he's trying to block. Okay. And also Cincinnati's offense is pretty good and gets the ball out quickly and he had a good quarterback. Um, okay. But yeah, he's just like legs get too narrow, too wide, arms all over the place. You know, just just like he, you know, there, there are occasionally times where it all looks good, but they're just you know, his footwork is a mess. Like it, it, he's a guy who you kind of you draft, you definitely do not start for a year, and you just develop, and it's just a complete project, um, almost yeah. like you would draft an FCS guy. Like I can remember, was it twenty thirteen when the Panthers drafted Edmund Kugbila from um, I can't remember where it was now. But in like the fourth round, he, he never played for the Panthers. He had medical issues, but like it was basically like we're going to draft you in the fourth round, and you're just going to sit and develop for a year because you're just yeah. definitely not ready. And he, right. you know, although he went to Cincinnati, which is an FBS team, like he is definitely not ready to play. He is, he, you know, he I, I I can't remember how old he is, but like how old he is and how coachable he is are going to be like major major factors for him because if he's 23 and you don't think he's very coachable, then just don't touch him. Like you know, he yeah. he, he has no value if he doesn't improve. Um, so, so between between him and if you had to reach, I mean, let's say for some reason Eichenberg dropped to round three, and not that he will, but it, let's say if he drops to round three, and then you know you have opportunity to pick between him and James Hudson, who are you picking? I think it depends what you think of James Hudson as a person, and and Eichenberg as a person to be fair, but but mostly Hudson. Like if okay. you if you don't think Hudson's, it's a bit like the conversation with Justin Fields. Like if you don't think he's very coachable, then don't draft him because he can't, you know, he needs, you know, him getting better is all of his value. Um, If you think he's a really smart guy who just hasn't had the right coaching, then yeah, I'd I'd take Hudson over Reichenberg. I think on balance, I'd probably take Hudson over Reichenberg because I think the, the range of outcomes where he works it out are so valuable that, that it's worth the risk. But I think he is a, you know, I had this conversation about you is, Greg Little, you know, when he came out, I was really high on. Um, and part of that was, like, he is not perfect, but the talent he shows is so huge that if he does work it out, he's just so valuable. Right. Um, and the same thing is true with Hudson. I mean, I think he is not quite as talented and he's way more developmental. Like, he, he is, you know, so, I so that's, that's the frustrating part about this whole left tackle discussion and and we don't have to stay on it long. I think we've been talking about it for like two years already is people really don't understand how good Greg Little can be. Uh, And, you know, he's, it's been unfortunate that, you know, he was hurt early in his career, you know, with the concussions and then, you know, like the minor injuries along the way. And then last year, you know, there were some healthy scratches, so I think the perception around him is really plummeted. Um, yeah, but I, I, I think he he did. I think the noises coming out of the coaching staff is that he did not take the steps they wanted him to take as quickly as they'd liked him to have taken them. Yeah, um, which is obviously you know I, I I think he clearly hasn't you know on the range of outcomes that he had going to the NFL, I, he has definitely not done the paths that were he puts it all together quickly and and is really fast learner and it just all works out he definitely isn't he has not fulfilled those pathways um but just because it takes him a little bit longer to work out doesn't mean that he definitely can't um i think the one thing i would say with great little is that when he was drafted by the panthers and i've had this and we've had to say this before but just very quickly for for people who haven't heard it before when he was drafted by the panthers they they john matsko who was the offensive line coach at the time it looked like he tried to completely remake little stance yeah. Um, and I think that 
both was a bad decision and ultimately has ended up putting him backwards rather than moving him forwards because he spent a whole year trying to learn techniques that did not suit him and that ultimately he is now having to unlearn and now trying to forget the things that he learned. Because so, some things he learned as a rookie, he has to learn. Like, you know, there are things he definitely did need to improve on that, that would have been helped by coaching. But trying to remake his stance, I don't think makes him a better player. Like, I, I think I think it, 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 it almost felt like they drafted... It almost felt like Marty Herney drafted a player he saw the upside in, and then the coaching staff, particularly the offensive line staff, didn't necessarily love as a player. Like It looked like John Matsko wanted him to play with a particular technique. And they drafted a guy who was better suited to playing a different technique. And yeah. I'm, I'm, it just was, you know, seems like the general manager and the and the coaching staff weren't synced up on that. No, and I, I think Pat Meyer is a much better coach for for Greg Little. I think if, if I think in a way I have some optimism because I think Pat Meyer I think is a good coach, but I think also has the right philosophy around the offensive line in terms of you draft guys based on how good they can be and. You know, obviously they have to fit what you want to do schematically in terms of the run game in particular, but you draft guys based on their ability and then you coach techniques to suit their ability. You know, yeah. The technique that Taylor Moten played with last year and the technique that Russell Okun played with last year are different because they're different players with different strengths. So he tailored it to the guy. Yes, indeed. Nice part. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but you know, that, that, that's important. And how you coach, you know, if, if the Panthers draft a Rashawn Slater and if they draft a Penny Sewell, they should play with different techniques. Right. Because ultimately they have different strengths and weaknesses. Right. You know, and I think Greg Little is a guy who has not been served well by by a different philosophy. But I also think, you know, ultimately some, he, you know, he has to take some responsibility for it as well. Like he, he has to put in the work and, you know, make himself better. But yeah, sorry, going back to the, the guys who took the Panthers, um, I think Hudson is more of like a mid-round option, but I think has his upside has some value. In terms of the interior guys, um, uh, Mikhail Manette, the Penn State Center. Uh, I think okay. if you're looking for uh, for depth and potential long term, like more like a Stone Forsyth type path, where like Manette is probably you know he's like 23 already, he's probably not going to get a ton better, but he's technically pretty proficient. Maybe not like an elite athlete, but he's pretty solid. If you want a guy who can who can be like the long term backup center and maybe compete to start down the road, absolutely. Like you know, if you want a replacement for Tyler Larson, Manette in the sixth round or fifth round makes tons of sense. I think he's just a a really technically proficient player, even if he isn't spectacular. Like, he, he reminds me a lot of um, Brendan Mann, who the Panthers signed as a UDFA out of Penn State a few years ago, um, who, okay. again, ultimately had an injury that ended his career as well, which is, you know, honestly quite sad. But, you know, Brendan Mann was really good for, like, the half a season where he played. Like, I mean, you know, he didn't start, but, like, he looked really, really good in training camp. He was really impressive. You know, he looked like that next off Andrew Norwell, where you get that guy who comes in as a UDFA and just looks really good. And, and Manette is similar. I mean, obviously, Penn State is easy to make comparisons based on school, but Penn State have rolled out some guys who, if not elite athletes, have just been really solid technical blockers. Um, yeah, like Connor McGovern. And- yeah, McGovern is another guy. And Manette reminds me a lot of McGovern. He's not quite as athletic, I don't think. Um, but but he's, again, just a really technically solid player. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think Manette would be a good depth option. Um, if you're looking for more developmental options, um, David Moore from Grambling State, who played the Senior Bowl. Um, again, you know, he's a guy who shouldn't play for a year, needs to develop technically really raw, but has yeah. loads of physical, physical upside, could be a really good guard. So um, definitely someone on day three who has some developmental upside. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up because I know that, you know, he is one of the few HBCU guys yeah. you know, who, who've been highly touted. So, um, and he was down there 
and Mobile. So, you know, the, the staff did get a good look at him. Yeah, and he's another guy who, you know, he, he's not ready to play right now. Um, his yeah. pad level is quite poor. He needs to, he, he really needs to develop some stuff. But, you know, coming from a small school, there is, you know, it's, it's a bit like mine. It's understandable that they're raw and you're willing to have more patience with it if you trust them as people to, 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 to be able to be coached. So right. I, I think he's a, he's a guy who would make sense in the mid rounds. And the other one is Trey Hill, um, the Georgia center, um, who I don't think is a spectacular player. Um, but again, he's a solid depth player. I think I, I am more enthusiastic about Manette than I am with Hill. But particularly if you're looking at like a late round guy, maybe a UDFA who can come in and offer some depth, has some guard flexibility. Um, but also I think quite scheme suited in terms of being able to get out in space as a pulling blocker and, and having the the movement skills to be a good sort of zone blocker. So I think he's a he's a late round pick who could make some sense. So I think those are the I mean, you know, obviously if you're drafting offensive linemen day three, it's either because they are very raw or are just have a limited upside. But I think there, there, are, there is value to be had in that. No, and I agree with that. And I think I think when it comes to offensive linemen, I think you definitely want to go and get your tackles in the first, in the first round, day one. I think day two is where you start looking for, you know, some of your higher end um guard tackle combination guys. Um, yeah. or you know, you know, and then I think on day three, and you know, day three, I think that's when you can focus on guys, you know, who are just raw. It could turn out to be something, um, and and you know, and and I hope honestly, you know, that we can pull away at least two guys who can play right away, at least have the potential to play right away, and then I I wouldn't be mad if we made a third play, you know, on day three, you know, for a raw guy, you know, who has a lot of upside, you know, because of what you said at the beginning of the episode about the status of the the offensive line. Um, is in flux. We're going into an uncertain future, you know, with nobody really being under contract, you know, beyond this year besides uh, Pat Elfline, uh, you know, and then uh, Cam Irving. So, so yeah, there's, know, a, there's, there's, there's a reason why guys who are, in, who are in contract for next year is the year after that, where there's just like nobody left. Yeah, nobody so, left because we still have Little and Daily on rookie deals, you know, but I don't know, you know, like I, I, I'm really hoping you know, that Scott Fitterer, Matt Rule, that they're really intentional about improving the offensive line. I think there's some opportunities here. You know, you went over some guys, you know, you know from the top prospects, and then, you know, being Rashawn Slater, Kristen Darrisaw, Panay Sewell, uh, Creed Humphrey, Vera Tucker, Wyatt Davis, those are your top guys. But I think after those guys, both on the offensive tackle side and the interior side, um, there's a big drop-off, yeah. you know, to yeah. the, the raw category um, yeah and there's still being some pretty decent guys you know yeah either guys who are kind of like raw or ultimately don't have that very top tier upside um, yeah and i think that's kind of the balance for me and so i mean but you know there, there will be you know opportunity to get better across the offensive line regardless of how you look at it or you know i just think it for the panthers they just have to be smart about where they pick the guy and uh, or the guys and uh, but for me I just I, I think that they're going to be very intentional about doing that you know they went all defensive last year seven picks all dedicated to the defense so this year you know I'm expecting that they will dedicate a lot toward the offensive side not like the whole draft being offensive but I think it will be more focused on the offensive side and I think the biggest need offensively is the line so I think that's what we'll see yeah. early on and, and that's what I hope to see 
But um, but it's been an interesting episode, you know, for the ones who are still listening. You know, it, it took a while to get here because we we really covered the entire offensive line and the prospects both on the outside and the inside. Um, I think, you know, again, you know, there's some optimism for the talent that's there. Um, and, you know, moving ahead, this was the last position group. Yeah. Is that correct, Vincent? Yeah. We're and so that. this is the last and final position group that we will cover um, from Scouting the Culture. Next week's episode will um, be a, um, a precursor to the draft. You know, we can talk about, you know, what the draft may look like and all of the different position groups and, you know, what to look ahead to, um, you know, for at that time will be three days ahead uh, of the actual draft. And so um, it's, it's exciting times for the Carolina Panthers. It's exciting, exciting times for all of us, you know, in, 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 the, in the aspect that we will get better uh, regardless of the position. And um, I would hope so anyway. Forward. Yeah, I hope so. I hope they get this right, man. Like, you know, I feel like we're on the fringe of like getting good, you know, really fast or just staying very mediocre to bad, you know, for a long time. And I think this draft is where it all pivots. And so I think they have opportunity here to to take us forward um, to, to better days. But if, I think if they don't get this draft right, it's just uh, another year lost um, yeah. in, in building. And so I don't want that. I want I want the positive outcomes, and that's what I'm hoping for. But we've gone for long enough this episode. Looking forward to next week's episode. Um, anything before we go, Vince? No, I think that's all good for me. All right, and that's, that's it for me too. So um, just always remember, you know, if you listen to the episode, please don't forget to rate, review, um, if you haven't subscribed already, you know, hit the subscribe button, um, you know, either on Spotify or Apple iTunes. Um, if you want to interact with anything that you heard about, you know, the, the prospects, please feel free to contact us at Panthers Culture on Twitter or Vincent at B, Vincent, <laughs> B Richardson 444. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can, you can interact with us. We know we always, you know, there to interact with you. We appreciate you taking time to listen until next week. Peace. Peace.